and then at the end of that year, I went traveling uh, interrailing, and it was just some moment uh, in the, the the first couple of weeks of interrailing I did on my own. And um, I think it was the second or third city was Porto in Portugal, and I was just there playing my guitar, and I got a message like from just inside, loud and clear, you're supposed to do music. And um, I was just about to do a start a four year contract in an accounting company, and it was the middle of a the big recession, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So it was a very inconvenient time to get such a realization, you know, as well as it being very old to kind of start something like that. But it was clear as day, clear as day. Hello, and welcome to episode fifteen of Paths, the podcast about people who have lived unusual lives, marked by dramatic change or a sense of living different lives simultaneously. You just heard a snippet of today's guest, Enda Gallery. This is a particularly exciting one for me, not only because Enda is a perfect guest for this podcast, having initially set out on a career in accountancy before realizing that he should be a musician and in recent years achieving growing public acclaim for his music, but also because Enda and I are related, sharing a great-great-grandfather from Ennestymon in County Clare. Before this interview, we had never met or spoken in any way whatsoever, You'll hear more about our gallery connection in the early stages of the interview. And from there, we'll hear all about Enda's decision to quit accountancy and study music, his bold move to Berlin, an exciting and artist-friendly city to give it a go, and much more about his trajectory since then. You can also watch this interview on YouTube. Just type in Pat's podcast, Enda or Donal Gallery, and it'll pop up right away. I'll include a link in the episode description as well. If you have an unusual life story or know someone who does, please get in touch with me by email at patspodcastpeople at gmail.com. Huge thanks to my aunt, Eleanor McArtle, and Enda's dad, Gerard, for putting Enda and I in touch. Thanks also to Dara Hayes for becoming a patron recently. For anyone listening, you can support the podcast on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash patspodcast. Alternatively, you could leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, any of the above will be greatly appreciated. Okay, over to Enda. Enjoy. Well, how's it going, Enda? It's it's really nice. It's it's really nice and um, like slightly strange in in a lovely way to to meet you. Yeah, uh, like this over Zoom. I think for for anyone listening or watching, they'd probably appreciate a little bit of background here. So, as anyone can see, we have the same surname. But you and I have never met before, mm. don't know each other from Adam. But yeah. the the credit for uh, linking us up goes to my aunt Eleanor, who she knew I was doing this podcast, and she got in touch with me one day and said, "I have this idea for a guest. Do you have you heard about Enda Gallery?" And I, I yes. and I, and I should say, like I'm really out of the loop with the new music, so I hadn't heard about you at that point. And uh, I was like, mm. no, who's this? And she goes, he's like this up and coming musician. He's all over the papers and everything. And he is <laughs> your distant relation. Maybe you should have him on the podcast. And then Eleanor got in touch with your dad, Jared. And um, yeah. and via that route, we were put in touch. And, and here we are. It's pretty um, cool. Fair play to them. Yeah. Making it happen. Yeah. And I gather... So the 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 connection, the distant relation, is that we shared a great great grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's in Clare. Yeah, yeah. And I think, are you? Where are you now? I'm in Kilfenora now. 
So is that like your family? I, I think I heard you in an interview saying, are you in the, your like family farm? So I'm in the family farm, but on my mother's side. Uh, so she's ah, okay, okay. Tamara. So my father, whose gallery is from Ennis Diamond. And so, um, I mean, that, I, I hang out there quite a lot as well. Ennis Simon's become like kind of a really kind of hip place now all of a sudden, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's tons of, I mean, Claire is amazing. And I think Ennis Simon is just the easy meeting point for everyone. You know, it's close to La Hinge, but it's also got this kind of cafe scene, you know, and just people can meet there. It's amazing. Yeah, there's a huge uh, kind of artistic and musical cultural scene going on in Clare at the minute, I gather mixed with a kind of there's also a kind of kind of hippie scene as well right like that's slightly distinct yeah, yeah so who is there around here there's like farmers and then there's tons of creatives unbelievable amount of creatives and then there's and then there's hippies i suppose and then there's also alternative people who in some ways are different from the hippies and then there's i mean there's every type but like yeah you do have these distinct groups um and they all mix as well but um yeah it's a melting pot i didn't actually know there was a place in ireland where this many creatives kind of per thousand people were hanging out and uh it's uh pretty amazing like when i first left ireland i thought i didn't think it existed in ireland this many people like you know because dublin is pretty i mean they, they made a real decision with dublin to make it pretty financially orientated you know mm. And it still does have a cool music scene and art scene, but it's tough to exist there, you know, and do those kind of things. Um, and so when I went to Berlin, that was kind of part of the idea. I was like, I need to go somewhere kind of like this that's going to really foster my creative need or creative expressions. But uh, I mean, Claire is pretty stunning for it, you know? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting down there at some point when this is all said and done and we have our freedom back um i'm looking forward to getting down to that part of the country and you know both because it's you know i always grew up knowing that was kind of the ancestral mm. seat of the gallery family and and Simon. um but now that it's also that kind of cultural hub i really have to get down there and so where are you based um, at the moment i'm in london yeah yeah whereabouts in london in tottenham tottenham so yeah because my sister lives in london for 20 years now Whereabouts is she? Uh, she's in London Bridge. I think she's moving now. She just had a, a son, maybe a year ago or so, and so they're going to move outside. But I think they're still living in near London Bridge. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Well, another gallery to chase down. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> well, that's kind of what strikes me about you know the funny thing about being as distantly related as as we are is that we could go through our entire lives never meeting each other and it wouldn't be strange you know it would be kind of expected but equally we're just about closely related enough that it's you know there is a kind of a nice it's nice to meet you and you've got a bit of a yeah. gallery head on you you know i can see it. you look a lot like my brother <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah for uh for anyone who's like tuning in and doesn't doesn't know what's going on just to kind of like locate the story the other thing about you is not just that we are distantly related it's that your story perfectly fits the remit of this podcast which is that you are now uh, a musician and a producer and a, you know a musical artist in lots of ways 
and you're becoming successful in that and you know there's a lot of a lot of buzz about your music and a, a lot of acclaim for it but earlier in your life you'd started down a completely different road you were um in a career in accountancy mm. um and then realized pretty quickly that music was actually where you should be going but that is like, that's exactly what this podcast is about yeah. uh, so it's just a lovely coincidence that there's the added factor of us both being in galleries yeah i want to i want to hear all about that story and i you know i'd say a, you do a lot of interviews with musical journalists and so on uh, and I would say kind of right off the bat, that that's not really kind of what I'll be going for here. I'd rather hear about, we'll definitely talk about your music a little bit mm. later on, but it's more about your life and the kind of actions and steps you've taken and how you felt about it along the way. Um, and I definitely like to spend a little bit of time talking about the earlier part of your life before we get to the, the music career. Cool. So how are you talking? First words. Well, well what? <laughs> Well, I'd actually like to hear a little bit about um, your branch of the gallery family. So maybe, maybe tell me a little bit about uh, your folks and like where you grew up. So my father is Jared Gallery, and he comes from Ennis Diamond. He had five brothers, and um, you know they're all scattered around now. My mother's from Kilfenora, and they both came up to live in Leakslip, um, with a few little places in between. But they settled in Leakslip and had four children, and I'm the third. And they, they both teach uh, primary school. They're both retired, uh, I think, after 44, 45 years now. They retired last year. They were working mostly in, in Tala, in Kilnamana. So, yeah, so that's that's the kind of lineage anyway. Um, in, from Glan and Ennis Simon is the, is the kind of the gallery side of it anyway. Yeah. And um, I gather you've been into music from a really young age you know I've, I've done a research on you and i gather um well for a start you were inspired by oasis as a kid that was yeah. kind of the first music was it live forever live forever like kind of first... that was my first yeah my sister emer she's my oldest sister so she was seven years older and she got a hi-fi set one year which was cool and you know it came with i i have two distinct memories of it one was fly to the bumblebee which came with the hi-fi, you know, as a kind of a piece that could, I suppose, demonstrate the quality of the hi-fi. And then the second thing, which was probably more upper street, was she got the singles box sets of Oasis. And uh, yeah, her playing Live Forever on this hi-fi was my first realization of like, what is this? This is making me, this is changing my emotional state completely. You know, what? This is nuts. What is this? What's going on? And that just made me want to, get in there and figure that out and look at it closer, you know, listen closer, find out about it. So yeah, Oasis was that first moment. And there was a, there was a, there was a ton of moments then since, but uh, yeah, that was, that was the first one. And you started playing around with music from a really young age, right? You, like nine, 10 mm -hmm. or so you started like recording with tape recorders and stuff. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think my, our parents probably had a, an idea that it would be great that we had a well-rounded, um, you know, education and, and that includes kind of hobbies and exercise and everything. And so from that point of view, you know, they did a great job just getting each of us into an instrument or two. And so, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, one part of it was, I suppose, that I started piano and started playing recorder and then recorder kind of turns into flute. So that was the organized 
part of it. And then the or- unorganized part of it was, yeah, one Christmas I got a, a, a Mickey Mouse tape recorder that had a record function on it. And I, I really enjoyed playing around with that. My friend, uh, Graham, just told me because he saw I made a little Instagram post about it because it's about 30 years old, I suppose, um, 25 years old. Um, and it's still working, going strong. But uh, we used to use it. We used to, we used to record people's conversations in the sitting room sometimes as well. You know, it was just like not yeah, creepy at all. The cheeky ways. I mean, we're eight years old or something, but we used to buy my older sister or something, find out what the, her and her girlfriends are chatting about. You know, and then we <laughs> then we go and we'd hear, and it would just used to be very boring. I can't remember anything that was any good. But yeah, so it was it was a lot of things. It was, yeah, getting into Oasis, being really into music. I, I had a couple of friends who showed me really cool. Um, I mean, I had one friend in school who was a real, he was, he was one of the kind of tough guys in the class, but kind of in a strange way, he was also really into Queen. It was just, you know, two things that don't 100% really fit, but his father got him into mm-hmm. Queen and he got me into Queen. So I had Queen, I had Oasis, and then I got really into hip hop when I was 12, uh, down the Gwaeltucht. And I also, someone taught me how to play guitar down there. And then I had my own, instrument you know like a self-taught instrument yeah the yeah. the Gwail talked um inspired me to learn guitar as well because i saw how many girls crowded around the lads who play <laughs> guitar oh yeah no doubt like i think in in my room in my or in my you know house there was maybe 12 guys and three of them could play guitar and yeah it was amazing to watch them play guitar and people play, play these songs and stuff and then that mm. was i was just hooked seeing that i came home and i learned every song for about two or three months is just baiting into the tabs online you download the, the the kind of chord tabs well something that strikes me about you from from the little i know of kind of researching you and all that is you must have a massive work ethic you don't seem like a guy who sits around doing nothing like and i wonder were you that way inclined as a kid no 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 i actually always had that yeah i always had that I loved, when I was playing Gaelic football, I really loved Gaelic football. I wanted to play for Kildare. Um, when I started watching wrestling, I wanted to be in the WWF. And I would be throwing my brother around my parents' bedroom, you know, just off the windowsill and doing vertical suplexes onto the, onto the bed and whatnot. And, um, and then I got into swimming and I really wanted to be in the Olympics. Um, so I was just excited about doing big things and going for things, going for exciting things. I, I, I'm, uh, when, when things inspire me, they really, really inspire me. Like I'm very kind of tapped into whatever that is, you know, so I'll see something and I'll just be filled with energy, totally filled to the brim. And then and you can focus on it. And then, yeah. And then I just feel, uh, nourished and I, I have a ton of energy then to give to the pursuit of that, you know? Um, so that's good. I kind of been topping up. It's a winding journey. Like, you know, it's like, I never, I probably never had the idea seriously that I was going to do music until I was 21. And that was just a moment, uh, traveling. And I was, I was interrailing and I was doing this masters in accounting. And I absolutely, if the, that was one of the worst years of my life, because I'd, I'd tried to set up this business before uh, I started, which was a cloakroom facility for outdoor concerts. Uh, so already something was telling me I'd like to be close to music, but also I liked entrepreneurship. I liked setting up something, you know, 
Um, so I set up this business and then I, it was cool. It, like it, it kind of worked out. Like I had like 20 staff for Bon Jovi at Punchestown and, you know, people really, really liked it. Um, but already yeah. after doing it once, I was like, this isn't going to make me happy. You know what I mean? So I had actually kind of broke through in, in a kind of a, you know, those things are tight circles. It's hard to break in with a new idea. And yeah, I'd kind of gotten in there and I, I had done it once and I just kind of realized like, oh, this isn't going to be enough. And I didn't think I had an, a, a verbal agreement with my father that if it worked out, sure, I'd go and do that. And if it didn't work out, I'd go do this master's in accounting, which my mother wanted me to do. And I was like, it's definitely going to work out. So that master's of accounting is never going to happen. Um, but then it didn't really work out. And then I kind of signed the thing and then I had to go for it. And I had to, at the same time, you know, I'd probably put seven or 8,000 into that business and I had to then find that money. So I had to do this like door to door sales job to get the money back. And so I was doing the masters in accounting from nine to five thirty or eight, eight thirty to five thirty, And then I was going out doing this door to door sales job and I was totally miserable. But it's the time when I started getting into music then ironically, cause I just needed some kind of therapeutic outlet for myself and then at the end of that year i went traveling uh interrailing and it was just some moment uh in the, the, the first couple of weeks of interrailing i did on my own and um i think it was the second or third city was porto in portugal and i was just there playing my guitar and i got a message like from just inside loud and clear you're supposed to do music and um, I was just about to do a start a four-year contract in an accounting company. And it was the middle of a, the big recession, you know, 2008, 2009. So it was a very inconvenient time to get such a realization, you know, as well as it being very old to kind of start something like that. But it was clear as day, clear as day. I, I've heard you mention that moment before, and I wanted to hear, you know, even more detail about it. Like, where, where exactly were you playing the guitar? I was, I was uh, in Porto. There's a river that runs down through the center of it and i was i think it was my last day in porto and i was there i brought my guitar i was playing guitar to myself totally alone and i think what i was doing was i was waiting around i was told one of the things you should do when you're in porto was go to this port wine tour right but they have it just like a couple of times a day and um and my train i think that i could get back to lisbon was at about five and the only port wine tour that was left was at 3.30. It was 3.30 to 4.30, and then I could go get the train. And it was in French. That was the catch. And I thought, you know, I was really good at French in school, and I thought, sure, I'll be able to manage this in French. And I had forgotten way more French than I expected. So here's me in this French tour. Like, it was just before I just remembered this French tour. And then people were, of course speaking French to me on the tour, like the other people. And I also didn't understand them. And they must have just thought this idiot, like, what is this guy who absolutely can't speak French? You know, doing. An, I didn't understand anything. Like, it was so technical, you know. Uh, so, yeah. I, but I enjoyed the port. But anyway, the two hours before that, when I was waiting around for that, I was sitting there playing guitar, looking out into the river. And... Um, uh, I guess like, you know, being alone for, for a while has a cumulative effect. You, you start to, you know, your own internal messages get a lot louder. Um, mm. So it's a very good, you know, it's a very good thing to do at reasonably regular intervals. But yeah, that was the moment. So I was just looking out there. I had my little guitar that I was bringing on, bringing over to a friend slowly. You know, I took it on traveling and I gave it to a friend of mine. Um, and um, there it was. Yeah. Were you playing something you'd written yourself? 
I think I was, but I can't really remember. I would have probably been playing my own, a couple of my own songs and a couple of songs that I liked. And um, I would have just been noodling. I wouldn't have even, probably it wasn't even that audible to anybody else. It would have just been if you were within 10 feet or something, which I probably, some people were just passing. So it wasn't even a public thing, really. I was kind of just feeling free, playing a bit. And... Um, it's like, you know, when you, you just think, um, I don't know, to compare it to, you know, when someone goes, you've left the oven on, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you get that. Yeah. You just realize it's just like, it's just a clear internal message. And then when it came up, it obviously been under the surface for like a little while, but once it came up, boom, there it was, you know, there'd been all so lines before but that was a real that was the clear moment it was just i can't even just make it any simpler it was like i was doing this just like you know doodling around and then the realization came up like you're supposed to do music like that and so then you had another i guess couple of weeks or whatever of intervailing and you're then traveling for the rest of that trip going when i get back i know what i'm doing i'm changing direction well no then it started to be the the bit that i didn't know what to do because i i had just done the master's part of this qualification and they basically pay for about three quarters of that masters in return for you go work for them for three or four years so i had signed myself into a four-year contract so i now had a kind of a dilemma and i was kind of that's when i started to do the mental gymnastics of like okay do i stop already you know do i just pay the money back and but then i'm 12 grand in debt and then i got and then i'm starting and it's 20 2008 I haven't got any money. It's a re- middle of a recession. 25% of people are unemployed or at least of young people. Um, I'm t- I'll be 12 grand in debt and I'm, I, I don't even know where to start with this. You know, that was one option. Another option, go and do the whole four years, save up loads of money, go take trips uh, to, you know, build your band and, and scope it out, you know, do a lot of practice, start playing around Ireland. This was another idea I had, which I kind of half did. And so those were the two big ones. And it ended up being somewhere in between. I think I knew on the first day going in that I wasn't going to do the four years anyway. And then, and then after about eight months, I did the first set of professional exams and I knew doing them. I was like, I can't do this to myself ever again. I'm, uh, right. This is the last one of these I'm going to do. Cause if you know, you don't want, so they're hard exams. And if you, if, if you really know you're not in the right place, you know, there's really only so much of that kind of stuff you can do to yourself. I think. Yeah, I'm curious to hear about that period. But before we, you know, because I definitely want to talk to you all about your time in music and all its different guises. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's an important part of this podcast to hear a bit of detail about anything you want. um, Great. Anything. Great. Uh, So um, (laughs) so that time, like you you studied commerce, right? You studied commerce in in UCD and then you go in, you, you get a master's in accountancy and you, and you go into mm-hmm. that career. So was that kind of striking you the whole, like when you were doing all that, those kind of subjects in university and everything, was it kind of hitting you through that time? You're like, what am I doing here? Or were you just going, going with the flow at that point? See, the thing is that I already wanted to do different things along the way so actually when i left school i didn't didn't want to do music that's not what i was thinking when i was seven i finished school at 17 i wanted to uh uh be a pro triathlete and i wanted to buy and sell shares 
because I'd been buying buying and selling shares since I was twelve. On my dad's uh, right. on my dad's account, my dad's a uh, broker account. <laughs> so I'd call up the broker Bob. And I'd say Bob, um, you know, I had a thousand euro savings or something, you know, and I built it up to four thousand by the time I was seventeen. And, uh, and I was really into it. I had a couple of mentors who would give me books on that kind of stuff. And I was really good at it. Like started to get really good at it. Um, just starting to understand the, mecha- the mechanics of like how a company works and, and what makes, and the psychology of it too. Like things get extremely overpriced and things get extremely underpriced. And no company pretty much is valued what it actually is worth. And that's the whole thing. You know, that's the lens of that. And so I was really into that. And, uh, and I was doing well and I was good at it and I enjoyed it and I was still 17. So I actually still couldn't legally do it, but I want, I was convinced I was going to do that. I could do that as a full-time job. And, um, I had gotten really serious about triathlon. So I wanted to train full-time, but you know, I got the reality check, uh, which was that if I want to do that, you can move out, uh, of home and, um, you can't afford to be living in Dublin doing that kind of crack. I don't think, uh, at 17. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was encouraged to to pick a course that was that was fitting off stuff that I was good at in school, and you know, um, commerce, you know, uh, was seventeen hours a week or something like that. So my mother kind of convinced me that it was a good good idea, you know, and it probably was. Um, so then I had time to do triathlon training. I was doing like twenty four hours a week triathlon training at that time. Jesus. And, uh, so that was a that was a realistic option, like to go yeah. professional that possibly. Uh, it, it, it possibly yeah. I mean, like um, I I got a sports scholarship to UCD and I went I won European or I won, I won Irish Junior Championships and I went to European wow. Junior Championships and I got my I got my ass kicked at Europeans, uh, absolutely ass kicked. I mean, but it's a different league. Europe is a different league when it comes to sports. Like we showed up in our rental Renault Megan, you know. And uh, yeah. the team Belgium bus rolls by, you know, and it's <laughs> like cool with, runnings. Oh, it's exactly. It's it maybe even <laughs> was more extreme. I I had bought this bike with like my spare money uh, from when I was fifteen. I got a job in spare, my first job, and I saved up all that money and I got a bike that was three hundred euro, and it was originally probably fifteen hundred euro back in the nineties, you know. But these guys were going around with wheels that were two or three grand, and they were spare wheels. So if they got a puncture, they just put on a spare wheel. And it's like, if I got a puncture, I'm going home, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that's it. So, uh, no, you're, it was a different, it was a different level altogether, you know? So you can imagine that's just the gear, but you know, then the training and everything. And so, yeah, went yeah. there. Um, but, uh, the, the, yeah, that was wild. So at the time I kind of was like gearing up for that, but you know, I was training so much my own that I all, I kind of just lost interest a bit in that. Like it was, it's a very lonely sport if you're training a lot on your own. And I had a coach who was giving me very long, long sessions and, um, they slowly wear you out. You know, you, I was in college, uh, everybody around me was having a lot of fun and I was kind of going out on these two hour runs and five hour cycles and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and then I went to Europeans and then this, you know, I didn't really, you know, I kind of could see the level. And then I had this, then there was this crazy thing that happened, which is that both of the people I went to Europeans uh, with have since died in car accidents. One of them died like two or three weeks later. She was, um, I think she'd qualified for the Olympics and everything, or at least she was really trying, um, Caroline Kearney. And she was a lovely, lovely um, person. 
Um, so we went to that Europeans in France. And then the other other guy who was in who was another junior, he died, I think, three or four years later in really similar circumstances. So I was like getting freaked out, <laughs> you know. Um so I just kind of lost interest. And then ironically, then I got offered a sports scholarship and I really wanted that. And I would have probably quit, uh, but I was like, Asher, ah, sure. let's try this out. But um, but then I kind of lost the heart to do it. I didn't really, wasn't enjoying it that much. And, um, you know, and then you're just in a commerce course, you know, you're just cruising through, you're making the best of things. I was still like 19, you know, so it wasn't, wasn't the end of the world. I was, you know, I kind of could get inspired by what was going on, like maybe to set up my own business as a way of getting kind of freedom. But I didn't like, I never liked the, the real, the real like officey typical thing. I definitely always knew I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. I wanted to do something real fun and with a lot of creativity and um, yeah, just, just a different path, you know, just go on my own adventure. Can you picture yourself when you were in that office, you were obviously there for like about a year or so. Yeah, I was there for um, 11 months, yeah. And they were really nice, you know, they're really lovely people. And then there was a few little funny, there was a few funny sort of coincidences as the universe up to our old tricks always does. One of them was that our clients included uh, Bono on the Edge and, right. uh, and the partner of the division uh, had written a song uh, to you know, to try and be Ireland's entry for the Eurovision and came third or something like that. And he was a musical dude, you know, he, he played the piano very well. And, um, you know, so there was a few funny things like that. Um, but the work when you're starting off is like really, really basic, you know, like, you know, I, I had been like an academic scholar and a sports scholar and really tried to do things different. And I just set up my own business and I, you know, before I did the masters and then you go in there and you're, putting stuff in alphabetical order <laughs> you know <laughs> you're doing other stuff later yeah. of course but like i remember just being like wow i used to have a real struggle to get the train in the morning and stuff like i'd wake up at the last possible minute and then i have to run for the train you know yeah I yeah really didn't enjoy that at all making me think uh, i remember uh, uh david mammoth the the playwright writes books kind of about the philosophy of, dra of drama and he said in one of his books that consultancy is a bribe for young people not to be creative no. and maybe that maybe there's consultants out there who would uh you know that would raise their hackles but that's what you're making mm -hmm. me think of when you say that yeah tax in particular i just thought like i i i, I thought it was meaningless like as in from a, from a, a media point of view it's not necessarily meaningless, but if you think about what it is from a, if you zoom out, like all these smart people who are 18, 19, 20, 21, and so on, like some of the smartest people in the country are taken after they've been educated by the state and a few thousand of them go to work for companies and a few thousand of them go work for the government. And they essentially play this game, which starts off as, someone makes a really simple rule about the taxation and these people are supposed to pay it, but they don't want to pay a hundred percent of that. They want to get away with some other bits. So they hire one smart person to figure out a few loopholes, how they can minimize it. And only the, only like the wealthiest can do that. And then eventually it gets back to the government and they need to hire two smart people to get rid of these loopholes. 
And then the company is like, let's hire a couple of more smart people, get around these new rules. And slowly you have these books, which are a thousand pages each per type of taxation to close every possible detail. You know, um, it's not just about the spirit of the law or the spirit of contributing to a whole. It's about how little can you contribute. And, um, and I just felt like all of this is meaningless. Like if, if people kind of could go in on the spirit of contributing to the whole, then thousands of people wouldn't need to do this kind of meaningless middle job, you know, of calculating this exact number or chasing up someone who's done the calculation wrong. And, uh, and, and I was really aware of that. You know, I just thought at the time, imagine all these people were working on some, some important disease, like collectively, if that energy was yeah. going into research and cancer rather than this, cause this doesn't create anything in the end. Like, um, yeah. And no disrespect to, to anybody who's doing that because it is actually part of our society already and it needs to now happen. But I remember just being like, you know, even if you learn things in that, and you learn a lot, a lot of that isn't actually wisdom because the rules can be changed 10 years later. And then what do you know now? You know what I mean? Um, and so I kind of just started to determine that there's some differences between knowledge and wisdom. And I was much more attracted to wisdom than knowledge. That's very, uh, very eloquently put. And yeah, really, a really nice description of kind of what brought you to that moment or part of what brought you to that moment in, um, in Porto. So yeah, let's let's hear now about the the transition into music. So you you leave. How exactly do you leave? The, you go and do um, is it a music technology masters in University of Limerick, yeah. and yeah. Um, you say goodbye to the job. How how do they react? Um, I mean, they're again. I can't stress this enough. They're really nice people. So um, so it happened in kind of a funny way. Like I had just done these professional exams and I remember thinking during the professional exams, like if I fail these, they'll actually fire me. You know what I mean? You have to pass. But I was like, ah, oh, it's not really honest. It's not really, this not, that's not the way to do it either. So I passed them. But I remember just in that time after I met a friend of mine who'd actually, funny enough, he'd also done commerce and he'd actually also gone and done music technology in UL. Um, and he was one of my closest friends. So it was very funny. He, he was, he'd kind of done it, but one year ahead of me and I met him in, and then he'd since gone up to Trinity, I think to, to kind of work further on kind of music tech, technology kind of stuff. And I met him for a pint and I was just like, man, I'm really stuck, you know? Um, and I want to, I want to now get out, you know, I want to, I need to make the move. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I was really, it was so clear. And he said, you know, we, we kind of, I kind of was looking at a few courses and he talked about the one in UL and I'd looked at a few in the UK and stuff like that, but the one in UL looked like really, really cool. So I just kind of made a resolution to myself, like I'm doing it. And then I went back, I can't remember if I, if I, I think I might even have gone back to the office that evening and I called up, um, and I'd actually missed the deadline by two weeks. And I remember having a conversation with her going like, oh, I'd like to apply for that master's. Um, I can't get into the application process on your website. And she said, oh, that's because it actually closed uh, 10 days ago. And I just said, is there any chance I can still apply? And she said something like, 
I'll say there, I'll say you had a death in the family, but you have to do it tonight because there's certain interviews tomorrow. And then I was like, yeah, I'll do it tonight. So I stayed up. I got some, you know, some kind of inside track information from my friend who'd gotten into this course, you know, just about stuff that was going to be on the course. So at least I could kind of learn a bit about it was very sudden. But I felt like this is what I need to do. Absolutely. This is the right thing. So I stayed up and I did this application. And then I remember, I don't know if it was just one day later, they were like, can you come down to Limerick? And I was like, I actually can't because, you know, I haven't told anybody that I am taking off work or anything. So I'll just have to do it on Skype. So I took the morning off work uh, and I did the Skype interview. And I remember my, my little brother was in the other room. And he's kind of like, what are you up to? And I kind of had to be kind of secretive about it, you know, a little bit. And then I was, yeah, I was doing this interview on Skype to get into this master's. And um, an interview went really well. And about two weeks later, I found out I got in. And then I was like, oh, now I got to break the news to to the guys at work and also to my, you know, my parents and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I was like, oh, uh, that was a difficult, difficult news to break in a way. Uh, so the people at work, um, they were actually super nice. I mean, one of them, they were worried about me a little bit. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, they were actually, they had actually started paying people 5,000 euros to take a year off because they'd hired way too many people. Then there was the big recession. Nobody really saw that coming. They'd hired too many people. People were sitting around. There was no work for them. And uh, so they were actually like, they were delighted to have less staff, put it that way. So, when I kind of came in and said, I want to leave, I want to do this. The HR person, super lovely woman was like, are you sure? Would you not finish the professional qualification and then you can do it and you'll always have that to fall back on. And I remember people asking me a, a lot about this thing to fall back on. And I always haven't, I've always had a resistance to that idea. I don't like that idea of having something to fall back on and preparing your fallback more and more and more about the fallback i like i think there is a real thing of like you gotta go for it you know you can't make your fallback too cushy or you know it's hard to really go for it and i kind of i remember being like that nah, i have to really go for it and then even the partner was like it's really difficult to make money it's really really difficult like are you sure you know and uh and I was like, yeah. And then there was another, there was another kind of director who was like, I think you're doing the right thing. Like fair play to you. Nice. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so there was all, but everybody was kind. Like they were all really lovely people. I just think I wasn't in the right place, you know? And I, I probably yeah. wasn't even that great of a worker in that job because it didn't mean anything to me, you know? And it's yeah. hard to do a job well when you don't care, you know? But yeah, like you can't force yourself to too much to care you do your best like i did my best to care as much as possible i very much know the feeling i mean I've, i'm an actor and i've spent like a lot of actors i've spent a load of time out of work doing other types of work and i absolutely know how hard it is to motivate yourself when you don't care about something you know it, it's yeah. a strange headspace to be in um yeah. i i should say a full disclosure that the actual second last episode we have was a guy who's an actor and a doctor simultaneously Ishaladi, and we, we actually had a conversation about the whole having a fallback and in that conversation i was saying that i think it can work you know i think the difference with him is that he actually enjoys the other career that's the difference then it's not you know? a fallback it's just another thing 
Yeah, as he as he said, it's two plan A's. You can have more. It's not a plan A, plan B. It's more more than one plan A. Hey, that's what I do when I'm a producer and I'm an artist, you know, and and I run a record label or like I manage other people. These are all plan A's that I enjoy, and that um, it's just diversity in like you know, it's a very it's a very uh, sort of um, industrial revolution kind of idea that we should all be so specialized. You know, I actually like this idea of like, um, you know, you can be a doctor and a and a great musician. You know, I love that. Why not? Completely agree. Absolutely. And as Ish said, we have the time. I mean, you certainly have the time to devote yourself to two things you love. Maybe if you multiply mm-hmm. that to 10, 20, it starts to break down. But I'd say anyone yeah. could carve out time for two things. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, look, and at, as you look said, at some people like it who are even actors within that there are actors who can sing you know or actors or who who can also dance or who can you know even just the different types of activities within one activity you know what i mean you, you got to be able to learn off scripts you know you got to be able to speak well you know you, you essentially have to be a good public speaker this could be called acting but in it you might have to be a good speaker you might have to have a great memory or ability to learn off scripts you might have to be a great communicator you might have to be a great singer you know you might have to you know just be great at body language so within even acting you're becoming very good at six or seven different different things you know and so it's kind of good if you've got some crossover between your you know your exploits absolutely you're 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 summarizing some of the themes of this podcast that that have been explored but yeah, I want to hear, and I'm sure the listener wants to hear more about your your journey. Then, so you do this course um, yeah. in music technology, and yeah. um, you know you, you uh, and I should say I haven't said this yet. Like uh, in getting to know you since that call with my aunt, I've been listening to your music, and you know, like I said at the outset, I'm not massively in the loop with new music, but it's been a genuine pleasure discovering your music. Like, I, I honestly really like it. Um, and it has such variety. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's lots of there's lots of different genres being explored, but also there's something that feels very fresh about it. And, you know, I think you've talked publicly about kind of mixing in Irish traditional kind of sounds with things like hip hop and more modern stuff mm-hmm. and everything like that. So really enjoy that. Cool. Um, I'm curious about... Uh, I had another guest on the podcast who's a musician and we were talking, I don't know if you've ever come across a guy called Rick Beato. Have you come across this guy? He's, no. a, he's a YouTuber who's like a music producer. And part of his oh, cool. is that he deconstructs like great songs. He's mad into like kind of stuff like Guns N' Roses and, and kind of like nice. guitar music from the 70s, amongst other stuff. Cool. But in his deconstruction yeah. of songs where he like does the different individual tracks and everything, I was like, when I was in a band as a teenager, I was in so far over my head in thinking that I could do what these people were doing. And I'm curious, do you, in, in your music making, how, how much do you use kind of musical theory and, you know, knowledge of, you know, how musical keys work and, and that kind of classical idea of harmonies and stuff like that? Or are you more intuitive? Um... I use everything I can use is the, is the, so that's an aspect of it, you know, and I know that to a certain level and there's people who know a lot more 
um, but I have an intuitive, intuitively good understanding of it. Again, there's like, you've, you've got one life, you've got a certain amount of time, so you can choose to really go down everything to the infinite depths, you know what I mean? So, so I know a certain amount about harmony and I know a certain amount about theory and I know, you know, I really trust my intuition and I also really um, learn about how to craft a production in terms of sounds, in terms of use of contrast or development or how memory works. Um, uh, the psychology of changing something, you know, or creating expectations or breaking expectations or playing with expectations. So um, everything, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like, I kind of use and go into what I feel I need to. And then once I feel like I'm starting to get less and less returns or it's becoming just too technical, then I usually go explore another area, you know, um, or, or try and really absorb that into how I do things. Cause otherwise I find like, I'm just studying, you know, I find that like, hmm. you gotta be able to apply stuff pretty soon, even if it's just starts off kind of basic, but I think what you apply, what you actually start using, um, you kind of master and then you kind of need to master or, or be able to give stuff a good go to get some benefit out of it, you know? So, Mm. um, I, I also just believe in you that you learn so much from actually making it or, or like your friend, like he's deconstructing, he's deconstructing stuff and you can deconstruct stuff from so many angles. You can do it from a music theory, um, way or you can just do it from um like what what's happening kind of way you know there could be no theory involved in it you could just break down what exactly is happening so you know it starts off with just this and then this comes in and how does that feel you know and then everything everything comes out and why would they do that and how does it make me feel and then when everything comes back in or it comes back in but it's in this new way how does that make me feel and so you can do the same thing without any theory but theory does like theory is one angle on it and it's a helpful angle and it, it makes sense of a lot of stuff, especially to do with chords and tension and release. Um, yeah, it's very useful. It's very useful. But um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question exactly, but um, there's so no, absolutely. there's so many angles um, and they're all helpful. You know what I mean? Like some people are just sound freaks, freaks of sound. You know what I mean? And some people have never explored music theory, but they've just played a hundred or a thousand songs that they love in a particular genre. And that just becomes totally intuitive knowledge about what works in a particular genre, you know, and there's other people who could write something in their head using music theory and counterpoint and all this kind of stuff, you know? And so, um, people got all sorts of angles. I just have a, I have a mixed mix set and I have a, a highly, highly intuitive approach. Did you pick that up mostly yourself or was that course the masters in ul was that very instrumental in in your kind of abilities and what you do as a musician um it was i mean it's funny because it's called it's a it's a master's course but um it takes years to actually become good at it still you know like years of actually doing it so we would have done like a couple of modules in in engineering and a couple of modules in in um, composition and a couple of modules in 
um, sort of the history of music technology and we would have done programming and we would have done sound design and, you know, lots of stuff. Um, and then we would have done our thesis and stuff like that. But I mean, you really only learn by doing it, I think, you know, so I was going out there and I was like playing my songs and that was me learning that, you know, and I was combining it with like, I did some, I did a really cool thesis where I had these dancers and when they moved, it changed the sound, you know, and that's a totally different abstract way of composing. And so all these different strands start to add together to something, you know, like I could play the flute that was felt like really far away point and I was playing guitar songs and then I was making this music interpretive dance music for dancers uh, and they all felt really far away from each other. And then when I, when I, I decided um, to leave, um, I, I kind of like felt like not right about going back to Dublin. Limerick felt very small, even though it was cool. Um, and I had been, yeah, so my plan kind of, I kind of did it, this plan I told you when I was doing the interrail and I thought maybe I could just, you know, set up my band over that three or four years. I could visit different cities, like where did, like Manchester, where Oasis is from or Liverpool, where all these, uh, you know, the Beatles and whatnot are from and London. And, you know, maybe I can find my bandmates. I'll have like some years to find the best bandmates. But what ended up happening was I just used to take Fridays off and I used to get these six, they had these six euro Ryanair flights back in the day. They were like 6 a.m. Uh, so I'd go there Thursday night and get the 6 a.m. to Liverpool. And um, I think I went to London once because my sister was there, but I was kind of like, I don't know how people afford to live in, live here. It's insane. And mm -hmm. uh, I just didn't have an angle into the city um, from a creative point of view. And I went to Liverpool and then, Liverpool was supposed to be, I suppose, the second place in about 10 that I was going to explore. But then I just fell in love with Liverpool. I, I met a lot of friends there, including some buskers and stuff. And I just made a lot of friends. And then I just kind of was like visiting Liverpool quite a lot. Um, but still nowhere felt like the place that I should go. And then I had a couple of friends who were doing music full time in Berlin. And, um, and I kind of said, okay, I'll come, I'll come check it out. And I went there, I think to February after the, the, the master's finished I finished I suppose in September uh, and I went there and it was minus 12 degrees and it was fully full of snow and um, I went to an open mic and I played there and someone was like that was amazing like can you come play this other thing and uh, and I was like my first gig with a bit of cash and uh, I was like man the city's amazing like because it was it's just overall an amazing city and then I came back two or three times and I think also it just was great to see that this uh friend of mine was able to live from music you know so i was like that's amazing from it bus like bit were, of busking and, and gigs busking, from busking and gigs yeah and it wasn't like these people were great musicians they had like a style and they they worked hard but like uh that was just fascinating to me like i had very few examples in ireland of people who were actually living from music very few actually i had none mm. i did not have right one. i had, didn't have one um, in my circle you make me think of the comparison that's made with acting because everything i ever hear about germany is that it's a much more livable place for actors as well like like they've got a lot more public funding and you know like i'm not sure the exact details but that theater companies will kind of keep people in employment kind of in perpetuity so you've got stable income and and theater tickets are much cheaper so the whole kind of ecosystem seems a lot healthier is that 
is that part of what's going on with music in Germany or is it, is it something else? Well, first of all, Berlin is just a, a much more affordable place to live. Um, so I could go over there and live. I was living on 800 euros a month in, in, the, in the first year. So I could earn easy 100 euro on a Sunday because there was this big park day where everybody went to this particular park called Mao Park. And, um, and every day or every Sunday would get at least 100 euros. And I usually used to bring a musician or two and we'd make like three or 400 euros and then split it. And that'd be my rent covered, you know? And so then I would just do bits and pieces of gigs to pick up the rest. And, um, you know, can you imagine just, can you imagine doing that in, in Dublin? You know, it'd be impossible. You know what I mean? You're trying to get together this two grand for your apartment, you know, or, or, or however much. <laughs> for your closet. But, uh, just the fact that I could, you know, survive. Uh, I was very stubborn when I started, you know, I was like, I'm not going to get another job, you know. Now, I changed my mind on that actually later, but but what, where I was at, I was just like, I'm so far behind in terms of someone who's starting off, you know. I'm 20, I guess it was 23, playing my first show. It's not like you're 14 or something, you know. Uh, I just think, I just thought like I have to, I want to catch up, I want to dive in. And um, and so, yeah, I kind of just got up the courage to go busking. It took me about three or four days. I was kind of petrified about it. It took me maybe, I think, four or five days of egging myself on to get out there first. And then it kind of became second nature. You know how it is, like you play and it's not so bad. I got 150 the first time, like a one euro 50. <laughs> And then the first song or the first session, uh, the first session, I went into a U-band stage. Oh shit. Ah, yeah. But like, you know, you're just, yeah. 150, yeah, but 150 is 150 still, you know? Yeah. 150 that I didn't have before. So, uh, and then you figure it out. You start to figure it out. You go there and you learn and you try and you fail and you, you know, you do really badly. You see some other people doing amazing. You start to figure out why is that working? What are they doing? And some stuff you can't bridge, you know, some people are just born to be buskers and I, I'm not born to be a busker, but, um, but you can get decent at it. You can get good enough to survive it. Ultimately, I actually didn't really enjoy busking, to be honest. I like, I, I don't like the grabby attention kind of Mm. nature of it. It didn't suit the type of music that I was making. I like, I really discovered that I, I, I way prefer intimacy or when the intimacy is, is granted and then people give you their attention and then they trust you to do something good with it. It's just, that's just way more attractive for me. But, um, but yeah, that's how I survived my first year in Berlin. So, um, so yeah, playing on the streets, playing every little gig that got offered to me. I think I played 50 gigs, including the bus, including busking days, which were like, mm-hmm. you'd, play, you'd play five or six sets in a day. It's really hard at it. Yeah, man. It's, it's really impressive. I mean, it just seems you had the courage and you backed it up with the work, you know? And um, I think anyone listening would go, because I imagine there's so many people who work in corporate environments who just work in any kind of job that they, they'd much rather do something creative and they just kind of can't fathom taking the action that you did, you know? So kudos mm-hmm. to you. And how how many years did it take until you felt kind of, more solidly secure in it that you know that i well yeah did did there come a point where you're like oh no this i feel pretty 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 solid now i think honestly that's 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 only come this year 
Really? Oh, so yeah. nine years later. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had moments and, of being slightly solid. Like, so I'll give you an example. So at the, at the, at the end of that first year, I was actually, I was actually totally burnt out. Like I was, you know, I, I, you get used to living broke, so that's not really a problem, but I was broke. I was playing all the time and I was, ex- I was super, super exhausted, you know? And, uh, so I was actually feeling kind of depressed and I was like, um, I was like, uh, this is supposed to be my dream. Like what's going on if I'm not happy now. And then I just, a, fr- a friend of mine, uh, had been hosting somebody and she was going to India to this ashram and she was telling me about this ashram. And I was like, man, I need to go to this ashram. And so I just booked tickets to go to this ashram in India with this person. And it was like a month long kind of meditation, yoga. Uh, yeah, basically you study kind of yoga teaching actually. And, but it's a super intense schedule. And I was, I was in a room with this Italian guy who trained with all these masters from Sri Lanka and Thailand and everything like out of this world guy I could feel him straight away. And this was amazing because I just started to understand the nature of my mind for the first time. And I realized that I suppose at 23 or 24, I had never been conscious, you know, I had been clever and everything, but I'd never been like aware, you know, um, like, I mean, not aware of what's going on outside me. I mean, like aware of, of like what's really happening as in, as in living in my own awareness, you know, even seeing what's in my own mind from being aware of what's in my own mind, not just my mind being aware of what's outside, if that makes sense. Mm. I, I think it does. You know, I wanted to ask you about this because I've heard you talk uh, in other interviews about that kind of transformative process and the, the effect that meditation and that experience in the ashram and everything had on you. It, it feels uh, to listen to you speak you, you know, you have um, a kind of a real conviction or you, you seem there's a, a lot of kind of clarity about the way you speak. And, it, and it, I imagine that that may have come from these experiences or maybe you were always that way. The way, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a real fascinating process. I mean, like it's hard to even, it's hard for me. This is my personal experience, but it's hard for me to even remember what I was like, because I would just have these kind of fleeting moments of being aware. But like when you go to a place like that and you're really training, you're kind of aware almost all the time and your life changes radically. And you kind of, if, you know, by two weeks into it, then I was starting to get it. And by the end of it, then it was like unbelievably sharp, like every in-breath, every out-breath, you're aware, you know, your the, the daydreaming has almost disappeared. Uh, and so you're aware of every right. call as it arises, as it goes, you know, uh, rather to being absorbed mm. um, in the ego, which means that you forgot yourself in favor of a kind of a subset of yourself, which is like a bundle of, of thoughts and sort of body language. So I did this one exercise that this Italian guy, um, Samuele, uh, taught me, which is that you, you can only really do it when you've got, when your awareness is quite high, but, um, you remain aware and then you'll notice that once you enter a certain situation, a certain set of uh, thoughts start to emerge, a certain kind of body language, and you'll start to do also different things. So and I'll give you an example. Like, so when you're going, just say you're in an audition 
and you're you're put in a room with three other dudes who you're competing against right for this part you'll start to be a certain person but mm. but put you in a room with someone who you find really attractive you'll be a totally different person you know you'll exhibit you'll have different thoughts totally you'll have a different body language you'll do say and do different things and they can kind of be bundled up into these like kind of sub personalities and so it, the reason it's such a powerful exercise is because you can you start to realize like oh in this type of situation i'm this you know this this personality arises in this personality or in this situation this personality arises and and so on and i think i had 12 by the end of the course but then i kept on doing it for a while i had like 50 and then but then then you realize who is the one who sees all the different personalities and then this to me was discovering my actual nature mm. rather than these learned behaviors to survive certain situations and and living in that viewpoint it's a whole different it's a whole different life you know so do you feel that now that you're you're consistently that person as opposed to those sub personalities that you talk about um so when you when you come out of an in, of, of one of those kind of experiences like india you have it super high like your awareness is unbelievably high for a while you know, when you've been really training it and it slowly goes back down, you don't lose all of it. Like you, you, you keep certain amount, crystallize it. But, um, after a few months it starts to fade, you know, you forget more and more. Um, so, and then it takes over, but I had a series of just, you know, I had a few months of like, just really, you know, being super aware all the time and crazy stuff would happen. You know, like I had been like hustling, super hard for you know 2012 just playing every little opportunity being exhausted you know and then in uh, 2013 I would just have experiences like my friend would call me up and say hey my girlfriend just broke up with me I'm really upset can you come over you know and I'd be like yep but you know this feels like the right thing to do let's go over there and then and then it would just feel like hey um should we make a bit of music you know take your mind off it and I'm like let's do it and then another friend of mine in Berlin said to me, uh, will you help me produce this uh, or present this radio show? I just got a gig on community radio in Berlin. I'm like, yeah, this feels right. I'll help you with that. And then I play one of the demos that I made with my friend over here on this radio show that I think nobody what, listens to. And the head of Universal Germany calls us and wants to sign us. Mm. And that was just like showed me, man, you know, you can really hustle against the universe or if you get into that flow, it's actually, it's not that effortful, you know, mm. um, and, and, and it's just on a, things can be on a totally different scale. Now that, that part ultimately didn't work out in that, in that exact way. But then after that, people started asking me to produce their stuff. And then that was the start of me getting paid to produce other people's stuff, which is a much more stable way. Now I still only earning about a thousand a month, uh, for 2013, 2014, 2015. But that was enough for me, you know what I mean? To live. And it was kind of more regular. And so that felt good. That felt like probably the, 
that felt getting settled. I think when I got my first album produ- production job, you know, it was like a thousand a month. And um, and then I was like, okay, cool. This feels solid. I'm super settled now in Berlin. I'd never, I'd, I'd been super shaky just living month to month. You know what I mean? It's hard to keep it going. But uh, when I got that, then I was like, okay, I think I'm kind of set. I, I think I can settle here, you know? Hmm. You you made me think um, that's already interesting. When you're talking about the kind of effect of uh, the meditation, yoga and so on, I heard you refer to um, a shroom trip in one of your interviews. And uh, what you were saying reminded me of, an ex- you know, I had a few experiences of doing shrooms when I was around 21 or so. Mm. And one of in one of those experiences there was one kind of like peak one and i i think i experienced what people talk about uh, refer to as ego death but it was like ex- exactly yeah. what you're talking about where it's like you you suddenly feel like you're seeing the construction of your own personality and mm. it is a, a very um i don't know it's a lovely it's a very kind of liberating feeling kind of i was laughing i remember i was laughing loads and i, I went home and i was just pissing myself laughing because it all, it all <laughs> seemed so funny and then the next day, my sister said to me, she was like, who did you bring home last night? What are you talking about? <laughs> who, was, who was laughing? But, oh, so funny, man. Yes, uh, but, uh, you know, I really like that idea. It sounds like that had a, a great effect on you. And then, yeah, as, as you say, well, I'm curious to ask you about that as well, because what, what you're talking about there in terms of kind of going, not pushing against things and it not being effortful and, and the thing with the universal guy and everything, I I heard you refer to God in one of the interviews you did as well. And I wonder, are are you like religious in a kind of traditional way or, or do you believe in God or, you know, or is it more kind of spirituality and believing in a certain degree of fate? How would you describe it yourself? Um, I'm not, I'm not religious, um, but I do think that actually all of the religious, um, faiths are essentially grounded on exactly the same thing you know uh and um i don't really experience them as like different beliefs you know like so i think you know jesus christ was totally on to what is really happening you know the re- the, the the reality of things and that um in the, in the same way as, as Buddha and they just had different angles, you know, and, and based on who they are in this life, you know? Um, but, um, yeah, I'd say it's probably more conventionally known as a, as a spiritual approach, but, um, but yeah, it's, a, I mean, like all of them have, have something to offer on the angle of it, like the Sufis or, you know, the Christians or, the, the Buddhists, it's just like different angles of understanding on essentially the same thing. To me, there's basically no contradictions. You know, the contradictions, in my opinion, come from human error, you know, human interpretations being added. Um, but uh, I can benefit a lot from, from a lot of them. But I don't follow any of them uh, strictly. Um, maybe the closest one that I follow, follow strictly is like um, the Buddhists or the Sufis, but I I find like they, they, they offer without needing you to be strict, you know, in any way. So it, I don't, I don't call myself anything. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. And, um, what about the, the more recent times? How is the experience? Because, you know, now you're, um, 
I gather starting to become quite well known and and quite acclaimed. Like you're you're very regularly in uh, in the papers in Ireland, and you know um, I know there's kind of networks you're working with, uh, lots of brilliant people and so on. Um, how how has that felt? That kind of transition from from where you were before to the kind of you feeling like you're starting to get settled to to now. Um. So starting to get settled, that would have been 2014, but then even in 2016, 2017, when I wanted to kind of, you know, write more and work on my own projects, that was the point where I decided I'm going to have to get a job. You know, I, I got a job in a startup, uh, for, for 15 months working 20 hours a week because I had had, you know, had a certain experience with some band where it was, it was kind of a negative experience with just how they treated people. And, um, and I just kind of decided to set for myself that everybody I worked with, I was going to pay them, you know, properly. And in order to do that for my own music, I need to get a job. I can't uh, do it any other way. And so I got a job. Uh, I was the, the head of marketing at a artificial intelligence startup. <laughs> <laughs> I love this just ace in the hole. I had no idea about this. <laughs> oh, man, very funny, very funny. I like one thing I think that is particularly that is is a particular strength of mine is I'm a, I'm a savage learner. Like I'm a savage learner. So right. I had a friend who's in a, approximately this area, and I could just glean enough enough from him in a few hours to be pretty good at that. You know, just yeah. walk in and be pretty good and um and learn quick like so i did a good job really good job at it and then after 15 months um i got another opportunity to to then do music really full-time but also to build a label and stuff and that actually is the thing that came out of the mushroom strip which is like i it's my one and only but um it was very profound and in a in a beautiful circle and afterwards i kind of realized this is you know, this is my purpose, let's say, in this life is to create beautiful things. And that includes facilitating other people to create beautiful things. And then my friend who, who whose birthday it was, who's, who's, you know, the reason of the ceremony, I could just see his form is he's an absolute facilitator of people. And I didn't know what he did for work or anything like that, but we kind of just, ha- we kind of had the vision, like we need to work together. And, um, and we then met the next week and we were like, um, you know, you can try to change the world with money, but in 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 a way, you need trillions if you want to go down that route. You know, you can change the world with politics, but it takes hundreds of years. You know, also takes a lot of money. There's a lot of risks of falling into traps, but in a way, you can change the world um, immediately by making art because art affects culture, and um, and then. He, he he was actually a coach, like a coach of kind of executives and whatnot. And uh, his company were, was doing really well. And he was excited by this idea. And he said, listen, if I can set up, like get the investment basically for this, do you want to, you're going to have to build it basically um, and run it. And uh, he's like, would you want to do that? And I said, man, that'd be a dream, you know? And... Um, so, you know, one week went by and I didn't hear anything else. He said, I got to check with the guys, all the partners in this company. And um, 
one we went went by and kind of nothing happened and two went by and three went by and i was kind of like okay it's another music industry type of thing like people in music will know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things that are promised that don't occur so four weeks goes by nothing kind of starting to put it down now and then five weeks come by and then he calls me and he's like yeah everybody approved it so that's so we can start tomorrow and so then i was then i was i got to do that you know so again i just got enough to live on and then and then some resources to build you know to build a label and i could i mean i already had some artists that i wanted to facilitate like just beautiful artists and um and so i set up a distribution arm and i eventually found and trained a manager you know to to work to to help the artists and to do the day-to-day and slowly run the label um so i could more focus on the creative stuff and production and more like creative development um and yeah so it's been a lot of twists and turns you know like um but it's still going to this day um and it's doing really well yeah so that's the circle maybe you mentioned of everybody's starting to do really well um yeah in that that's uh welcome to the new world is that the name of the label that's welcome to the new world yeah 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 i think we have uh, Uh, six artists now more or less four that we also manage including me and um, two others that we just signed to yeah to make some music yeah i listened to your collaborations with strange boy Mm. um like and again i'm i'm glad to have been you know exposed to his music and your music together mm. through this experience because again i i didn't uh see that coming you know but he's he's brilliant um world class amazing amazing yeah and i love his it, the song the pope is great but then i also love the is it waiting is a much more yeah. relaxed one so there's a real range going on there as well as well yeah, he's got an album and, uh, next month. He's we we've made an album, and uh, the first track has uh, Moya Brennan from Clannad on it. Um, nice. It's, it's gorgeous, and uh, his brother also features on it, and another uh, Limerick rapper called Hazy. But uh, it's amazing. It's basically it's going to be the first that I know of, like hip hop album that's like trad and hip hop in something new, but done really well. You know, mm. and uh, yeah, so it's got banjo and harp and voice and baron and a little guitar, some fiddle, some flute, and uh, yeah, it's mostly made here in Kilfenora in this house. It's amazing, yeah, no better place for it. Claire <laughs> has no, uh, such I a tradition, no of... better place for it. It feels totally right to make that kind of music here, totally right. Mm. And I think you made the point, um you know, that hip hop has obviously come out of America and is, it tends to be very influenced by, by the American practitioners of it and, and more recently British, but there's no reason why Irish people shouldn't be doing it in their own voice. Cause Ireland, you know, more, more possibly than any English speaking country has such a tradition of poetry and, you know, linguistic dexterity. So yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's like one of those things where you know where there's there's like dots of uh, of things, and they seem like they're not related, but if you put them in a certain constellation, they become completely related. You know, and it's like hip hop seems very far from Ireland until you consider that we've got 
you know, some of the best poets of all time. Um, and we've got a lot of them, you know, and, um, and rap in a way is just another type of poetry, but it's just more the spirit. I think that is it's what makes it hip hop. And I really believe in using your own materials, you know, your own voice and your own source materials and definitely take inspiration. But the spirit of, of hip hop is, um, I think it's that one of resilience and it's that one it's it's like of 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 retaining your power in 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 the face of oppression and um and there's many people in this country who can benefit from that energy but they can make it their own by using the materials that they have to hand you know that are really their own but that spirit mm. exists all over the world it just became hip hop music in the states you know yeah um, have you seen that interview with tupac where he talks about the the genesis of rap and he uh, paints this image of it's like people in the hallway of a hotel when there's this like big party big feast with loads of food and stuff going on in a room and it begins with kind of knocking on the door and singing sweet songs and then it kind of slowly gets more and more energetic you know, and maybe a bit more kind of aggressive. And then by the end of it, you're like, you know, we're coming through blasting kind of thing. And mm-hmm. um, I, th- I feel that, like you say, that's uh, fitting for, for Irish history and for Irish culture as well. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's a lot of people in Ireland who who are also in that situation, you know, for various reasons that like, that they can really, use and benefit from that resilient energy you know that in a way that rebellious energy that uh it's a powerful energy of i am going to prevail you know and uh i think it's really positive i think it's really positive i think it can go the other way but i think a lot of people get lost in them um, in the form or the apparent uh reality of hip-hop you know like when people rap about having things the like to my eye the actual point of rapping about having things was because the system was set up so that they wouldn't have things and yet they prevail by and they exhibit that by having those things and displaying those things Mm. if you Mm. abstract that essence from it and it's just about having things it's just dumb you know it's just about having stuff but um but some people of course always miss this essence and they copy the form yeah. and then it's just meaninglessness you know it's it's uh stupidity you know um but um yeah but we're yeah. blessed in this country to have a few people who are just absolute poets speaking from absolute en- essence with total honesty and shedding a lot of light on their experience and therefore you know validating other people's experience and bringing you know bringing everyone up including themselves hmm I wanted to ask you about kind of um, the experience of creativity and kind of facing your fear. Um, You know, I think a lot of people, a lot of people would like to do more creative things, but when they start attempting to, fear takes over. A fear Mm. of either, oh no, this is shit, or I can't reveal this. You know, I, I can't be vulnerable about this. Um, yeah. have you experienced that kind of fear? You don't seem like you, you, you know, have a lot of that fear in you or have you just dealt with it? Well, 
I think anytime you're stepping into the unknown where you can be good or bad or be judged um, and where you don't know if you can do it, but you're going to try, all of those experiences are scary, you know? So, you know, my first experience producing where I had like just gotten this basic gear and I'm in the room and the band shows up and this band is like older than me, six or seven years older. A lot of these people, some people 15, 20 years older than me in the band and they've been, they've maybe done 20 or 30 records with different, you know, session musicians. Like, and they're asking me questions like, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, I'm like just chancing it. Like I'm just trying something, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like not really sure if I can do it, but I'm gonna try, you know? Yeah. But you're, you're on edge and you're, yeah, you're totally nervous and you're, that's not a comfortable situation. It's deeply uncomfortable situation until it's over or something doesn't work and you, you don't know how to fix it because you're so new at it. It could be just some button somewhere, but you don't know it yet. So you are, you know, that's scary. You just got to go through it. You know, when you get better every time that discomfort makes you learn, there's other, oppor- other opportunities where it's like, Hey, let's go to the session and you can, you can be on the song if you can come up with something now, you know, and it, you might, I've been oh, in, yeah, a, yeah. in a room with a couple of hip hop producers, you know, gold record hip hop producers and, uh, and they put a mic and then I got to do something. And then lo and behold, most of the time something good comes but like you've no idea what's coming you know and so it's just i think just people just go for it you know sometimes it's not there but like it's no real big loss if if nothing happens so you can just go for it and and uh you learn something every time you try you know i think that's the thing it's like um i think i think uh the, the cure for it is to try and to have no expectations but to have a goal you know to have a goal don't expect to get it, but try to get it and then just reflect on it after. And if you take that attitude and, and, uh, you know, accept that losing and failing is how you get to being able to be good at it. You know, it's just like, take all the pressure off it and do it for its own sake, try it for its own sake and, uh, lean into the experience of actually doing it. If you can, like how it actually feels, uh, slow down, and um just experience it and uh, it'll probably get a lot easier and then just keep doing it keep trying it you know you've got permission to fail thousands of times so it's no problem yeah have does a moment come to mind if you think of a moment that you fell on your face does anything spring to mind where (laughs) um oh yeah yeah, a few times. You know, you've just been on... I mean, um, in that situation, let me check. In the, You mean like that, um, you just nothing's coming kind of thing? Or like, can, you, can you tell me what you mean? Uh, yeah, I'm picturing... Like you were saying, say you're there with a producer and they go, all right, and uh, your turn. Let, you know, let's see what you've got. Have you ever experienced a moment where it's like you just went for it and then... And then you just felt like, oh no, shit, that that was that was woeful, <laughs> you know, or or just something like that. I'm just because you're such a kind of calm and confident guy. I'm just curious to hear. I think it would be reassuring to people watching you to go. E- even this dude who seems so on top of it can have moments like that. Um, I mean, maybe I'm forgetting them now to block it out. I've definitely had some t- some times where like I was really feeling a vibe, and then 
I was like, hey, I'm going to absolutely go for this. And then I listened back the next day and I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I was a bit fresh, you know, what I was doing there. And at the time, be like, this is, my best, this is my best ever work, you know. And then the next day I listened and be like, oh, that's, that's very funny. Um, <laughs> let me think of another example. Um, I don't know, man. Yeah, maybe I blocked out some of those things. I've definitely just been in a situation where, I, I don't know, thought I could get something to work, tried it, didn't work. It's no big deal, though. It's like none of those things are really that bad ever. People just move on. It's not like everybody's looking for that. People all want to, you know, it's not, yeah. that, it's not that dramatic. If you go try something, it's awful. People are like, yeah, I don't really feel that, man. <laughs> it's not, you know, they're not going to, you know, people respect you when you try. So it'd be a very, someone would have to be very disturbed to really go in on you for trying something and it not working out. They're probably more likely to go, mm. yeah, no, I'm not really feeling that. I don't know if that's the thing. And then you, if you've got any sense and you've got any awareness, you'll be like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and then you move on. Yeah. And you might, but you might think later, like, why did that work or why did that not work? And, but none of it's that big a deal. You know, we're all just trying stuff. None of us really know what's going on. You know what I mean? Here, here. It takes longer for some of us to realize that, I think. The, the penny drops at some point. You're like, nobody has a clue what they're doing. <laughs> everybody's everybody's yeah, lagging. Infinite. Yeah, and, then, and yet you can still somehow know more and more. But, um, yeah. you know, you always talk about, you know, I always, I always tell young bands, for example, about, um, about because we always have the illusion that we're getting better, right? You know, we're getting better all the time. But we're also just getting diff- different, you know, because if you look at a band... Let's say I like the Arctic Monkeys. And, uh, you know, the songs that they were doing when they're 17 are really good, you know? And then they obviously all become better musicians because, like, since then, probably every three years or four or five years, they put in another, you know, 10,000 hours of dedicated practice, work with the best people in the world, glean their skills. You know, they have access to every resource to just keep on becoming better. And then the second album is just also great. You know what I mean? But is it a better, are they, are they so much better? You know what I mean? Mm. It's, 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 it's very questionable. So it's like, it's like, uh, it's cool to just value trying at whatever stage that you're at currently, because it might be a lot better than you think, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it could just be the best thing that you're you're gonna do, or or the worst, and you've no real control over that. It's like a, it's a channeling process, you know. I think. Yeah, it's it's not really helpful to to think about things in terms of good or bad as a as an artist, yeah. is it? Like uh, when I was in drama school, there was a brilliant project we did called Autocore, run by this teacher John Baxter. And it was basically each person would have to make a 15 minute piece about absolutely anything they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted, but they had to use like found text. You know, Mm -hmm. you couldn't write stuff. You had to take your text from other places. So people did like wildly different stuff and it was really creative thing. But he used to, after we watched people's pieces, he would say to the group, he'd go, okay, now we're going to talk about it, but you can't say that was good. That was bad. I liked it or I didn't like it. You can only say, this made me feel whatever. 
it made me feel this it made me feel that and i realized the effect of that was that you might watch something and you're used to thinking in terms of good and bad and you'd watch it and you go oh this is shit but if you didn't allow yourself to say that and instead you just like it made me feel like maybe it'd be it made me feel angry or it made me feel you know frustrated or something you'd start to realize there was there was more value and kind of detail to something that you could have just dismissed as shit you know it also kind of a is a connecting process you know you re, you have to reconnect to yourself you know rather than just some ideas you know if you focus mm. on how may you made you feel you have to check how you feel uh which is essentially an awareness exercise you know how how do i feel now in response to that rather than the mind has a tendency to go what should my opinion of this be in a way like subconsciously of course but uh that's a great process yeah how does that make me feel yeah and then that's really that goes more straight then to the intention of the, the piece you know and and was the intention successful because most people shouldn't have the goal that when they do something well that people think it's good it's sh- in my opinion it should be more if i'm successful they will feel something like this you know yeah speaking of uh what you feel i'm always curious to ask uh performers particularly about the experience of performing uh you know when you're when you're playing uh, in the good old days when you could play gigs i don't, I don't know if that's still possible or if ha- it has been possible during the year of the pandemic for you but um when you are playing gigs to you know good crowds what uh what does that feel like internally for you um it's cool it's cool it's a nice feeling i mean like i still i still think you know and this is the this is just where i'm at but i i i feel like i'm at stage two of whatever i'm gonna do live you know so i've had a i've had a bunch of experience and i've played actually pretty big crowds and all that sort of stuff but it's always um, felt a bit like moving towards something. And I know that's a real common illusion, uh, but um, but I actually just don't feel like I've done what I want to do live yet. As in like I haven't uh, put together the show in the way that I want to do it. So how does it feel? It feels good. It feels good, but it's also kind of felt like playing or experimenting or exploring or uh testing in a way training in a way you know what i mean as in like uh you play some stuff where i went on tour uh a year and a half ago um with this artist i was producing called kid simius and uh it's all sold out shows all around germany and some in austria and switzerland and stuff and uh super cool like really cool experience and uh you go on and it's just these packed clubs and people are really you know, have a lot of energy and uh, they're very reactive. And then um, it's also sometimes if you've got quite delicate vocal parts, it's quite hard. You know what I mean? So Mm. you're you're enjoying it, but you're also kind of trying to execute something quite difficult in an environment that's very loud and actually kind of hard to hear yourself. So it's like, uh, it's challenging. And and I've also played in so many different uh, things that I really think I have a sense somehow that like once I uh, create my new live show, um, 
which I'm working on at the moment. And then I get to do it kind of again and again and I iterate it. I'm looking forward to that because I think um, that will be, that will be something I can really, really take in hundred um, percent. But, uh, but no, what's the short answer? The short answer is it's amazing. Like when you're feeling good and you're feeling comfortable and the crowd is feeling good, it's amazing. You know, it's like a f- massive flow of energy. You're kind of like giving a lot to them. They're giving a lot to you. Um, and that's great. You know, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Can you let us in on, on any preview of what the, the live show you're working on? Or is that a, is that a tightly held secret for the time being? No, it's not that tightly held. I mean, like, uh, I'll tell you, it's, um, I'm trying to bring together all my worlds. You know, that's kind of my goal. So I, uh, my concept is that I'm, I'm going to start with a meditation, with a guided meditation. So with music, but a guided meditation and just get people totally in touch with their body, uh, with their listening, you know, with their presence. And then it's going to become a, a concert and then it's going to become a dance show or dance concert you know what i mean so electronic music concert so it's gonna flow from a very sort of welcoming and uh, conscious ele- consciousness elevating experience into songs into like a concert and then into like electronic music t- so you can just dance and you know that so that's sounds brilliant man yeah that's what i'm working on i'm excited by it man I got um, enough to, live to kill Fenora that I need to, uh, you know, use in the show. So I'm just, uh, I'm going to be putting that together over the next probably month or two. Let's see how we go. Especially in the times we're living in, it sounds like exactly what people need right now. I think so too, man. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit. We at the beginning of the chat we mentioned uh, the the hippies of Claire. And I don't mean that uh, in a in any kind of uh, pejorative way because I, I count many of them as friends. And I actually went to um, a festival. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Earth Song, and it's um, a lot of a lot, a lot of the East Clare um, residents go to it. And there's like no no phones and no drink for ten days, and it's quite it's a kind of like a retreat. It's really good, actually. You just reminded me of there was a part of it which was um five rhythms but it was all using it was all using like acoustic instrument drums and acoustic string instruments and so on and it built up like that you know it it, it built from a kind of meditative state to a bit a bit kind of more energetic and then eventually in kind of pretty dim light with like some flame around and stuff it was like really intense and i remember seeing there was like in front of me there was this guy who was like 50 who looked, you know, had kind of like the body of like a stocky farmer who was like just it half naked, just in his shorts. And then a few feet away from him was a girl who was probably like 21, you know, similarly like in bra or whatever. And and um, and both of them just dancing and really kind of getting lost in it. Gorgeous. Um, yeah, and it was, it really was. And, and when you describe that kind of gig, you know, you're now an established an established musician um and i'm not aware of that being a thing that an established musician like you who could easily just rock up and do a a two-hour set of your well-known tunes you know taking the time to do something like that which is more like an experience that sounds unusual 
and again another kind of brave move yeah i just try to do what's exciting for me you know um and then that's the kind of sim- simple version of it you know as in yeah i really believe in just following what's what's exciting you know i was gonna do a tour for my album and it just all got cancelled <laughs> kind of never to be put back on because of it was right at the beginning of COVID. And so it's just one and a half years later. I just don't know if I relate anymore to doing an album release show. You know what I mean? I'm just, I just like mm-hmm. moving on and being where I am now. And so if I think about it, I'm like, nah, none of that really appeals to me that much. This appeals to me a lot. You know, this would be exciting for me to work on. And I kind of need to think it's going to be really cool and exciting for me to put all the effort in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. to really try and make something cool. Mm. yeah i think it's gonna yeah be i think so and um i won't keep you too much longer but just so the listener knows um what is your what is your most recent album called my uh my debut album i suppose is called the journey to zero and uh i released it first as delush which was the stage name that i was using for a while and then i re-released it under my own name earlier this year and then the current EP that I'm working on that has two songs out is called uh, Liberation. To finish off, uh, to bring us back to the, uh, the gallery connection, um, yeah. how, how, are, how are your family reacting now that you've been through all this journey? And I gather it was just kind of scary for your parents and stuff when you went into music. What's, what's the kind of feeling in your family now with, with the way it's all going? Uh, they're very supportive, you know. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure for any parents, you know, it's like uh it's one of the worst careers <laughs> mm-hmm. you know it's uh unbelievably hard to to make it work crazy um mm. phenomenally hard so you know fair enough like <laughs> but um but I, i'm sure they're happy with it like um i'm sure it probably gives them a bit of reassurance uh that i'm not that i'm not insane and um <laughs> That's just, Oops, it's just nice to see. I'd say it's just nice effort to see uh, good things happening and recognition happening, and and um, yeah, just good things. It's good things, you know. If I had kids, you know, I'd want to see them doing well after many, many, many years of of going for it, you know. So it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, and they've kind um, of let me use this uh this house for uh for my productions um for the last few months you know so that's also very beautiful and you've built a studio there yeah yeah i've just um i've brought a lot of gear and uh and i and I, I work with that um these days like technology is kind of amazing so it's like if you've got a series of great great microphones and a, and a few great pieces of hardware um and a few great instruments you're well on your way you know mm-hmm. it's kind of democratized creativity i mean to get the really good stuff which i like to do is still very <laughs> expensive but um <laughs> but it's democratized it somewhat yeah it makes it a lot easier to just start you know um so mm. it's it's a great time you know whatever i'm doing now would have cost 10 times more 50s 60s so uh um it's exciting it's exciting 
Well, it was it was uh, it was very cool to meet you. I was just thinking, you know, the galleries are quite a small. You know, there's, there's not many galleries in Ireland or in the world, indeed. Uh, you know, I've met very few throughout my life. And, and in terms of like the kind of wider family, uh, I've never been aware of anyone else who worked in the arts. Um, and it was actually I met your dad briefly at my dad's funeral and he um, and we shook hands and, and he uh, I had mentioned being an actor like in the, in the eulogy for my dad and uh, he kind of you know said a few words to me about that but he told me about another relative called tom gallery who's like a, who was an actor in hollywood who's like part of an american yeah. branch of the family i never married this dude you didn't know about that yeah I, I didn't either but he's you can look him up on wikipedia he married the actor zazu pitts i think her name was um who was pretty famous so uh he he was the only other kind of like a uh, creative gallery i knew about um and it's a pleasure to meet another one in yourself and, and it's brilliant yeah, it was, that you're was, was yeah um so f- fair play and and uh, i think the listeners of the podcast will find this uh, an inspiring one so, so cool, thanks a minute it was a pleasure man yeah thank you man thanks for having me on and yeah great to connect and give me a shout if you're down in clare uh, and I'll, I'll absolutely if i'm in london yeah please do yeah yeah it'd be good to to have a pint do it in real life that was my interview with enda i hope you enjoyed it if you have an unusual life story or know someone who does please get in touch with me by email at patspodcastpeople at gmail.com if you enjoy the podcast and think it's a worthwhile venture you can support it on patreon it's patreon.com forward slash podcast. It will help me invest more time in the podcast and find more interesting stories. Alternatively, you could leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Any of the above would be greatly appreciated. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Pat's Podcast. I have an exciting guest lined up for two weeks time, which I won't reveal yet. So watch this space. Thanks for listening or watching.